Welcome back to Tailgates and Turnovers, the official film crew college football podcast, part of the Happy Hour Sports Network. Joining me, Tyler, your host today, is a special guest. He is a defensive backs coach and co-DC down in Mansfield Timberview in Texas. We have with us Robbie Severe. Robbie, how you doing, man? Doing well on yourself? Not too bad. Getting closer to the weekend. Did you have a good 4th of July? Yeah, absolutely. We, we uh, have this week off from camp, so it's been it's been nice to just kind of get our last deep breath before we, we go full full board of the season. So, Oh, yeah. I remember moratorium from back when I played, so that this was definitely the week to, to kind of take that relaxing breath before you jump right back into it. Right. So, yeah, glad you were able to make time to come on with us. Just had a few questions about what the high school, not only recruiting processes like, but just high school ball in general down in Texas, obviously. You know, it's kind of a cliche that it's it's a little bit different down there. I mean, you just look at the size of some of the stadiums and everything like that. And, you know, just definitely seems like a bigger deal there than most other places in the country. So uh, let's just jump right into what an average day is like for you in the recruiting process. So, I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, we see when coaches are visiting schools, we get updates, you know, from our insiders and everything like that. So they say these coaches are visiting the school. So, I mean, what does that really entail? for some of these guys that are getting like P5 offers or just, you know, any kind of offers? Uh, it, it's, it depends on the time of year and um, the recruiting calendar really dictates what the day looks like. So, I mean, in a, in the off season, when you're, when you have, uh, you know, viewing periods where, where they're allowed to evaluate the kids um, in Texas, I mean, we're a 5A school, so we have some good players and we're kind of in the middle of the, of the hot spot in DFW. We're just South of, of Dallas and Fort Worth and uh, you just get a lot of traffic. I mean, there's some days where there's 15, 20 uh, division one FCS um, coaches come through um, and, and some of them have, you know, it's kind of interesting because some of them already have a plan uh, and some of them are more like, Hey, what do you, what do you got for me? Or, or uh, oh, what well, kind of kids, yeah. What kind of kids are we looking at? Or, you know, who's your, your prospect list. And so, um, the evaluation period is really a kind of a feeling. It's really what it is. It's evaluating. It's a little feeling out. And unless you have really blue chip kids, um, you're just a lot of times you're just kind of talking about your kids. They can't technically uh, talk to the kids, but they can bump into them and see them in the hallway and kind of see them, you know, obviously on the field and kind of get a, an eyeball test. And, um, you know, so so there's a lot of that in the, in the offseason, the evaluation periods. <laughs> And then as we get closer to summer, um, we get the more of the visits. And this, like, the calendar sped up so much. Um, for your underclassmen kids, you're doing a lot of camps. And for your older kids, they're really trying to get out and see campuses and, and get on unofficials and official visits. Your younger kids, too, are more talented, are getting invited. You know, we had a we have a 25 D tackle who's got about 15 offers, some big ones. He's got Michigan and Texas. and. Um, we, we had coaches calling us trying to make sure he got to their barbecue and make sure he got to, uh, you know, their big events that they have for their younger kids. Um, but, but for a lot of our kids and, and the most of them, the majority of our kids, uh, you're trying to direct them to camps that you think, Hey, this is a, this is a level of play that you can get to. Um, Hey, in Texas, we have these mega camps. There's a mega camp at SMU and TCU that have you know, up to 80 colleges at all levels. I mean, it's really, it's really incredible. Um, and then we have some that there's 10, 15 colleges at. Um, 
And so we try to get the most bang for our buck and kind of have our kids not waste money, uh, so to speak. And if you got yeah. a kid who's more of an FCS kid, try to stay away from UT and the camps where, you know, they walk through the door and they're already off the list um, just based off their size. But, um, you know, that's kind of the summer, you know, and now we're kind of gearing into the fall where um, at the end of summer, you got kids taking visits and now we're gearing into really the fall where, we're going to get another evaluation period in the fall where coaches can start coming out and they have a good idea based off the spring who they're going to eyeball. And then they get other, you know, they come out in the fall and they watch practice or they watch a game. And, and uh, that's, that's where you get kind of that, that next period, you know, and then signing day is always fun. So the calendar, you know, when we get closer to sign day, it always gets stressful because the way it is now at college is, you know, People are moving on. People are offering late because there's so much movement with the transfer portal and kids decommitting that you have a lot of movement late, but you're really just trying to tie down loose ends. Mm -hmm. um, and then for your guys who are not quite settled, you take that period, that next period after the initial sign day in December, and you are trying to find, hey, who who'd you miss out on? Who, you know, some schools that you know, FCS schools and division one, two schools are losing guys that get brought up, or maybe there's more guys on their board than they thought based on guys getting dropped because of transfer portal stuff. And so um, now at that point, it becomes scramble mode and we're, we're on the phone and we're contacting people we know. And it's like, Hey, you know, you have invite, you have a walk on spot or, Hey, do you have, do you have any room or, or can you take our kid? And you just, you know, that becomes always an interesting period. It, it used to be really easy, and now it's pretty difficult. I think COVID, with COVID, the COVID uh, eligibility stuff, as those guys phase out, which I think is next year, I think it'll get back a little bit more normal. Uh, yeah. But it's it's just always changing with the portal and the way people approach that. That makes sense. Yeah, and obviously not only the transfer portal, but, like, stuff with NIL and obviously – there are some regulations. It's arguable how enforceable they are by the NCAA, but you know, there's there's some regulations in place to prevent schools from directly discussing like NIL payments to kids and everything like that. But has the way interactions gone with college coaches changed since the implementation of NIL? Like, have you not, not even maybe not even maybe like a very visible shift, but just kind of a shift in tone even on how some of these kids are approached and how some of these coaches approach things uh i think um yes it has changed but it's it's very rare it's like for the for it's for the really elite kids you know um in texas we have a rule where basically as a high school player you cannot take um nil payments or nil agreements and as soon as you do you're ineligible so i think we saw quinn quinn ewers when he was the number one prospect in america as a uh, in our a rising junior intervening his senior year, he skipped his senior year because he basically took the million dollar NIL deal from or whatever it was from Ohio State. And at that point, he couldn't play high school football anymore. So that was kind of what led him. And, and there's been other kids in Texas that have sat out their senior years. It's not common, it's pretty rare. And it's really for those kind of those truly elite kids. Um, we had a, we had no lineman sign at UT last year. He's a big time uh, prospect, and there was some NIL talk, but that was very little of like, you know, it was it's there, 
you know, and they have an, an NIL agreement for really all their O linemen, kind of like most. Yeah, I know they have some kind of. Yeah, they think that each guy gets like fifty thousand or something as a base, um, and then, and so there's that. You know, we had a kid who left Oregon um, and was trying to figure out where he was going next, and he chose a school that basically had an NIL deal for him, and he's not even on football scholarship; he's a walk-on. Uh, but the NIL deal pays for his school, so it's uh, there's a lot of creative ways people are using it. Yeah. Um, but really, it's like the elite kids or the kids who are already in school, the the portal kids who probably are affected the most. That makes sense. Yeah, and what you mentioned about a kid being a walk-on but still having NIL take care of everything, I think that's kind of a – that's maybe on the back of a lot of fans' minds too when we're talking about what some of these, you know, these roster restrictions are. Like, obviously, we're both Notre Dame fans, so – we are involved in discussions where they're trying to figure out how to get under this scholarship limit. And that's kind of one of the ways that gets proposed every once in a while. You say it's pretty, I mean, you said that's happened to your kids one time. Do you ever get the sense that it happens more frequently than we might imagine as fans looking on the outside? I think like there's those, there's those borderline kids and I don't know how I'm not, I'm, I'm almost 40. So Nebraska was really good when I was young. And it's almost like that Nebraska deal or, or back in the 90s, they had that unlimited roster and they got all these fringe D1 kids, maybe FCS kids, to decide to go to Nebraska and be walk-ons instead, right? Because mm-hmm. whatever, you know, I don't know if there was anything funny going on there or it was just they want to play for the brand. Um, and I think there's that. I think you get the occasional kid who might be an FCS kid, who might be a lower Division One kid who's – deciding to go, you know, take a shot, you know, shoot their shot and be a division one kid at a bigger school, uh, but not have to be, uh, not, not have to pay for it out of pocket. You know, the school's going to say, Hey, we'll, we'll give you an NIL deal. We'll basically cover your tuition and maybe a little bit more. Um, he's not getting the big payday, but now they're getting a kid who probably would be playing at, you know, um, a, a, a FCS school or or a Division two school and be a really good player, but they're going and trying and shooting their shot, so to speak, at a Division one school, um, and maybe getting that tuition paid for. Uh, so it kind of covers the balance, you know, and, and kind of gives some of those kids an extra shot. But I don't think that's happens a lot, you know. I think I think um, you see that happen more, like I said, with more established kids, the portal kids who maybe yeah. bounce down or bounce or come up because they've had really good, you know, careers at lower levels and schools are bringing them in and say, Hey, we don't have a spot, but we'll pay for your tuition or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's not, a, that doesn't happen all the time either, but I think it definitely happens. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And it's, still obviously very much early into this NIL process. Like we're college coaches in the NCAA are trying to get Congress to step in and, and, you know, you, you have a lot of the players associations forming and everything like that. I think, I guess one follow-up question I do have on that is, do you think that this is going to eventually arc towards players being employees of the schools? I think, uh, I mean, that's, Partly the fear, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. get into this when I did. It's you kind of love the amateurism. Yeah. And there's always been pay for play, 
you know, I'm, I live in Dallas and SMU is famously known for that, you know, right? So um, it, it's always been around and it's always kind of been known, but not known. Um, but I think we're getting to the point where my my, my sense is that, and, and I'm, this is not informed, I've never heard this from anyone at that level, but I think, um, I think really the money's so big um, you know, I've heard and everyone's heard this mega this make basically you're gonna have a group of schools that kind of break off yeah from the NCAA and it's gonna be led by kind of the Big Ten and the SEC. And you hear those conversations. Um, and I think that if that happens, that's where you'll see the employees start to come in because some of those schools will, you know, at that point they can make their own rules, which they mm-hmm. kind of already do. Uh, the NCA has rules, but really the conferences kind of make the the main rules. And I think as soon as they walk away from the NCA, that's when you'll see it. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen, but I mean, the path we're on, I, I don't think it is out of the realm, you know, that it couldn't happen in the next 10 years or so. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's kind of tough too, because like you said, the amateurism was is one of the things that makes college sports different. But at the same time, like when on the school's end, like you're getting these billion dollar like TV contracts and everything like that, it just it's a tough balance to strike, you know, because how much of it becomes just a veneer of amateurism, you know. So I I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of years. But, you know, when it comes to these recruiting pitches that these coaches are making and some of the NIL pitches that come in, how involved are you or like, you know, the other coaches on your staff in helping like guide these kids to make a decision? Does it just kind of depend on the kid or? Um, so our head coach actually moved on to SMU. So he's at, he's on SMU staff, our guy who was here and he was a, you know, high school coach in Texas for over 20 years and um, been successful. And he's been known as a, a guy who gets kids out. So he has a lot of connections. Um, and so we would bring our kids in and he would have uh, very honest conversations with them. And then we'd bring their parents in and go, you know, what, is, what are you looking for? And really what we tried to do um, and, and what he would do is help the kids really filter and the parents filter what exactly they wanted out of the process and what exactly they want in their schools. And, and then when we know that as a staff, we can kind of, let coaches know hey this is this is kind of what the kids are this this family is looking for whether it be education whether it be hey nil and, and then we haven't had a kid who's really been like no i'm i want this kind of money i've never i've never heard that i've never had a five-star kid either so it's not like i've i've had 20 of these kids that have come through and you know half of them are asking half of them are not i, I don't know so like, right. I know the kid that went to UT last year, that had very little to do with it. Um, you know, it was a perk, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the reason. Um, and so he was kind of the, I guess, we had a kid sign with Oregon, we had a kid sign with Texas Tech, we had a kid, and that's been, you know, that's been part of it, but that's really uh, not not been the main focus, you know, but but yeah, you're as a as a high school coach. Those conversations have changed over the last fifteen years, 
because it used to be like, you know, it used to be about like, you know, playing time and, and, you know, what did they recruit at the position? And, and, uh, you know, can you see yourself living there for four years? Uh, and now it's like, you know, you might go there for a semester and hate it and then be back in the portal the next year. So the conversations are different for each kid, you know, some kids are like, don't care about what it's like to live there. They just want to go play college football and figure it out. Some kids are, you know, we had a kid who was really torn between kind of a football place versus Northwestern last year and, and the value of that degree. Um, it, you know, so it was like, you just try to figure out, okay, what's most important to you. And then you build, I guess your arguments are your pros and cons from there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of, I mean, high school kids, I'm sure those can, opinions can change <laughs> from, yeah, from one hour to the next. You, and that's important to get the families involved. I mean, that's one thing our coach yeah. did. He brought their parents in and said, Hey, let's all sit here and talk about it. Cause if we, if we send information home with, with Johnny and he comes back to, you know, he's going to say something different to you and then you're going to say something to him and he's going to say somewhat translated what you said to us. And then there's just all that. So we all get in a room and we all just kind of, you know, what is it you're looking for? Here's how we're going to help you, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned that your head coach is now on SMU staff. Uh, I've, I've got a question that one of the other guys on the, on the pod wasn't able to get with us tonight, but he had this, um, when you have guys like, you know, Chad Morris, Art Bryles, <laughs> uh, but like Joey McGuire as well, like Texas seems very uniquely situated to have coaches jump up from the high school level to the college level. Um, do you guys have anyone in your area or anybody that you are kind of aware of that you would be looking up to make that kind of jump next? Or is is it hard to predict? I mean, I'm sure it's hard to predict that, but I mean, do you have any guys on your radar personally for that? Um, you get, you get word a little bit here and there and you get some scuttlebutts and really it's the, it's the guys who've kind of, everyone's looking for the next Joey LaGuardia, right? Um, that type of guy. So what, what, how, how all that kind of started, you had some, you had some guys, you know, Keith Trailer, the guy at, at uh, UTSA, he's from Texas. He was a high school coach in Gilmer. As, as you want, as you're kind of looking for that sweet spot, that guy who's been really, really successful in Texas, um, and he's been doing it for a while and got a track record and knows a lot of people in the state and has those roots planted, but at the same time is young enough to go start another career. Um, so we had a coach at Arlington, that, that was the Arlington Martin head coach, and uh, he left to go join um, Matt Rule at Nebraska. And ironically, he's, uh, if you've ever met him, he's like one of the, you'll never forget it because he's like got the most energy and he's super passionate. And, you know, he's one of those guys that is, has never met a stranger. He's, he's, he's a phenomenal dude. And he was in that, you know, that Texas High School Coaches Association. He was on the, that higher level up. And um, he made the move this year. You know, he had been at Arlington Martin and built a really dynamic program. You know, they've had Miles Garrett, they've had, they had a kid sign at LSU. I mean, every year they have kids sign big time places. Yeah. And um, he he made the jump from Nebraska, and he's their tight ends coach, and he's the guy who sold Carter Nelson on the on the dream of Nebraska, <laughs> um, the return of glory. So 
Um, so, I mean, it happens every year. And I think it's happening more and more frequent because of the success trailers had and McGuire, the energy and success he's kind of started to have at, at Texas Tech. And like I said, Chad Morris. And there's other guys before that kind of um, laid that foundation. But it's happening more and more frequent. And you got a lot of these colleges now that they're allowed to or they've gotten smart is they're hiring these Texas coaches a lot. Like our guy got hired as a, you know, he's the, he's a, a scout, basically he's scouting kids, but he's also the high school relations. Um, yeah. And so he knows everybody in Texas already. He, he started in El Paso and went to Houston, came to DFW. So he's kind of touched all the corners of Texas and mm-hmm. he's been it. And, 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 you know, the coaches here are very tight. And so you got these guys that really um, know a lot of people and it's fertile ground to recruit. And you got these schools that come in, these coaches that are not dumb. They come in if they're not if they're not from Texas and they get hired to come into Texas at SMU, TCU, um, Baylor. And they're all hiring these guys to be something on their staff, whether a position coach or an off camp or an off uh, field role. And they're trying to get trying to get roots into texas you know if they don't already have them i think one day i I don't know and this is i don't have any inside for information but like there's a guy in frisco named kenneth miller who's pretty young um and really well thought of in texas i mean we'll see you know he's someone to keep an eye on yeah i mean that's a that's a name that like everyone talks about him for big jobs in texas who knows maybe he might skip that and just go straight to Straight to college, never know. Okay. Awesome. So, I mean, we talked, you talked a little bit about schools trying to like put roots down in Texas. And I think, again, we as Notre Dame fans have kind of seen that with Chancey Stuckey. They hired him out of Texas to kind of establish that pipeline. And we've had, we've seen the results of that already. Are there schools that the average college football fan may not think of as having a pretty large presence in Texas that, you could shed some light on even whether it be you know just at your school or just kind of the vibe that you get around the state in general on how how active some of these schools are i think you know the big 12 is obviously always been in texas you know the regional footprint they get to play in texas three or four times a year and and so you have you have the big 12 is always very heavily involved um th- there's some schools this year that i thought Maybe for the very first time, not really the first time, but maybe I've I've noticed a, a larger um, increase it is Penn State this year. Um, came okay. through multiple times, and you know they offered two or twenty fives, and they came through multiple times to look at them. Michigan, I feel like has really ramped up in Texas. Um, you know, I know they were they were in on the kid, the Longview running back who who unfortunately kicked our butt last year in the playoffs um they've they've uh they're in on a lot of kids down here they've been heavily i mean they offered one of our dbs last year who didn't really have a ton of national offers but they were in on them um uh usc unfortunately is like heavily involved in Mm. texas ever since i said unfortunately as a Notre Dame fan uh fortunately for our kids though because that's a great university but um, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean they they since Lane Kiffin has taken over, Texas has become a huge emphasis. I mean, I don't know if you noticed they're signing signing uh, class last year, and then the amount of commits they already have for next year 
um, a large group of it's Texas, you know, and you don't think you would need that with California being right there, but um, mm-hmm. he, he's obviously being being at a um, at Oklahoma for so long and having so many guys from from this region of the staff. Um, he he's done a great job hitting Texas really hard. Um, I mean, Purdue, Iowa, some Big Ten schools you don't normally see down here. Uh, like I said, Penn State, Michigan. So, I mean, there, there's a – I think, like I said, I, I told you this off air, but I was from San Diego, and I was kind of the recruiting guy out in San Diego as well. And we always had, you know, Pac-12, you know, Mountain West, you know, a, a few big schools here and there pop in for, for your big kids. Uh, but the amount of traffic in Texas is kind of kind of crazy. I mean, it's really coast to coast. Really? I mean, Buffalo, with that uh, the head coach at at Buffalo is from Texas, so they sent a bunch okay. of coaches down here. You know, we I, we had a like I said, SNU had a big camp, and there was probably eighty colleges there. I mean, coast to coast. And I and I and I talked to three Buffalo coaches there, and I said, man, that's a long way to go. Um, the middle of the summer. You know, they said, yeah, our head coach is from, from Texas, so uh, he's from DFW, so he's like, we're going to recruit it because he has, you know, connections and he feels like we can get some under underlooked kids here out. So, I mean, it's really coast to coast, and, they, and I, there's not really one conference I haven't seen in Texas. I mean, it's, it's honestly kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, when you have one of the – three or four more most talent rich states in the country. Like it, it is something that, you know, I'm from Indiana. So we, we get a couple bigger kids here and there that become big names, not, not nearly as many as Texas. So, I mean, we're obviously a little more known for like college basketball than college football. So a little bit different vibe there. But um, when, when you get these coaches that come through, you mentioned earlier, there's some that just come in that say, what do you got for me? Um, what are you looking for in your players? Like, are there do they, are these schools looking for guys with traits? Are they looking for like I, I guess what are they looking for? And then kind of a follow up tangent on that. What do you look for when you guys are evaluating players or scouting players out? You know, to present these players to the to the schools. So, I mean, it's it's really a numbers world. We, we you try to tell kids this because it's. I remember I was a player, you know, I was five nine. Um, you know, I am five nine. I know I won't it's not that I was, but um, you know, I was I still, I still player, am, but I was too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you you think you're a man, I'm a good player, you know, I'm the best player on my team, but you know, this guy's getting a look and I'm not, but he's six four and he plays O line and it's a value position that's really rare. And and kids don't always understand that. So we have to do a really good job of kind of talking to our kids about, hey, this is what colleges are looking for. And so they're they're first and foremost looking for traits. You know, they're looking for size, uh, wingspan. Um, they're looking to see a guy's frame, if he can put on, if he can put on the weight he's going to have to put in college. They're, they're obviously, there's certain things that, that get their ears perked up, you know, track times, verified times um, do. And then really, once you get the hook set, you know, once they like the way a kid looks or once they like the traits, uh, then you can honestly start to get the film on and you can say, hey, here's some film or show them a couple things that might 
you know, perk them up a little bit. Um, and so generally, unless they already know about your kid, they kind of want to know, okay, just tell me about them. And then can I see them? And they want to see them. And then generally when they see them, then they might want to know more based on what a kid looks like. That's not always the case. Sometimes some schools are a little bit more like they're willing to get a little bit gritty with it and, and evaluate a kid who might not fit the perfect parameters. If you, if you're a guy they trust, you know, if you're a guy, like if, I, if you say, Hey, this is a guy you have to look at, you'll get some schools that will recruit that, that kid. You know, we have a 25 safety. That's probably a little undersized, but he's got incredible physical traits beyond that. And um, some schools, like him enough to pull a trigger you know he's got three offers and then i had a school and you know a prominent school in the big 12 um one of the better schools in the big 12 who said we want to see him and he walked in the room and he left the room and i said what do you think he said well if he was two inches taller we'd offer him right now but we're not going to do it today and we'll see what happens and so it's 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 a little different but generally um they're looking for traits you know traits are a big deal and you hear about when these kids get on campus, they they measure them up, right? And you'll hear some, you'll wonder like, why did a kid go on an official visit, but then the school moved off of him? Sometimes it's because like he said he was six one, and they saw him on the field and thought, ah, oh, maybe he's six foot, and then he gets there and he's really five ten and a half. So, you know, it's 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 one of those things where traits are a big big deal because in in high stakes. Um, it's a lot easier to take the five-star kid who's got the traits and say, hey, we miss just like Alabama uh, than it is to take a kid who's 5'9", and then and then they come for your job and be like, well, you're taking these dudes that obviously can't play here. And you're like, well, you know, no one else offered him, but we thought he could play, right? And so it, it's a lot easier to make that call sometimes. Okay. And then as, as a defensive backs coach, like aside from things like their frame, you know, weight size speed and everything like that technique wise what do you look at when you're talking when you're looking at these kids and figuring out like obviously a lot of kids run fast not all of them have college football speed but you got a lot of kids that run fast and a lot of kids that are tall and everything like that what techniques what technique facets are you looking at when you are evaluating these kids and figuring out like this kid can play at the next level this kid can play good ball you know what i mean so like what, what do you look for I mean, the the very first thing I look for, and it's the same thing I'm looking for for guys who I want to play on Friday nights, um, is, and these are the things I try to articulate to college guys because um, when kids go to college, football becomes a grind. And um, it becomes a job more than a sport or the same sport you played as a kid, Pop Warner, you know? And so high school is kind of that medium where like, it's still fun but it's work. It's not pop water anymore. Uh, In college, it kind of goes over the cliff and it becomes more of a grind, right? So the things I'm looking for and the things I'm trying to articulate to colleges that I think are valuable to them is um, a kid who loves football. That's first and foremost. If they love football, then I have a feeling that if I recommend a kid to a college coach, he's going to go there and at least not flame out because he just can't take it. Right. And so as a coach, I don't want my name to be um, to then for them to come back and say, nah, we don't trust you because you just give us any kid. You know, you'll just sell us any kid just to get your kids out. But 
you know, you're giving us kids that aren't worth it. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to articulate, you know, Hey, this kid loves football. And I'm not going to tell a coach in college that a kid loves football when he doesn't, you know, but that's something I'm looking for. Does he love football? Um, does he, does he, does he study the game? Is he smart? And then after those things, after those intangible things, because I think those are the things that college coaches can't evaluate on their, on their own. They're just not around them enough. After those things, yeah, there's, yeah. Certain, there's certain things that I'm looking for that are the same things they're looking for. You know, how, um, you know, explosive a kid is, like his change of direction. Can he change directions? Are his hips loose? You know, I often tell my DBs, if you can't dance or can't play basketball, it's hard to play DB. you got to have some rhythm. you got to have some hips. you got to be able to flip, you know. And so um, nowadays with the, the, the ability of these quarterbacks and receivers, and you got to be able, you got to be great as a DB athletically with your hips. You know, you can't just be a good technician and not be athletic. I mean, that's really, really hard. And so you got to have hips. Yeah. You got to be explosive. You got to be able to change directions. Obviously, the top end speed is, is kind of a, a, an equalizer. You know, we had a kid that um, I felt was a little bit tight in the hips, uh, but he ran a 10 6, you know, and so or 10-5. And so you're like, hey, kid gets beat off the line. He runs a 10-5. He's going to be able to close. And he showed that. You know, yeah, he showed that on film as well. Like he could close and finish play. So I mean, it's a it's um obviously the size, but really I'm looking for change of direction. I'm looking for hips and I'm looking for closing speed. And then obviously if a kid's playing safety, I'm looking for some physicality. You can get away with it a little bit at corner. Um, and then, and then there's things that are bonuses like ball skills, but those are really kind of differentiators. Those aren't really like the main, the main thing. If I got two kids that are equal, but one kid's got the ball skills and I'm going to take the kid with the ball skills, but, but that's kind of like the, you know, lower end on the, on the, on the docket for me. Okay. So how have you observed that coaching these, these positions has changed since you've gotten into coaching? It sounds like you've been. You've been in coaching for quite a while. So what what has changed about whether it be just the game of football or these kids that has kind of changed how you approach coaching these guys? I mean, all of the above. So uh, <laughs> I can't, I, you know, I was in California, which was known to throw the ball and known for quarterbacks. But like just the transition from. You know, when I first started coaching football and you, you, you know, a coach says, hey, put your defense on the board and you draw your defense. The offense that you would draw it against was pro set, under center, two backs, you know, what we call 21 personnel, right? And so you're drawing that stuff and you're drawing, okay, this is how we line up to this. Now that's like, you see that, but it's rare, you know? So now when, when someone says, hey, draw your defense, you're putting up, you know, two you know, three receivers and a tight end or a full, you know, a sniffer, a B-back, H-back, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's under, you know, and shotgun. And the game's just evolved. Like, receivers and quarterbacks are so good. I mean, you used to only be able to see the best quarterbacks in the NFL be able to throw back shoulder balls. Now there's high school kids that can throw them. You know, if you're playing off coverage, they'll throw a back shoulder ball. If you're playing press, they'll be able to throw a fade. They just play seven on seven year round. They throw with trainers year round. 
I mean, guys are so good throwing the ball now that it's it's forced defenders to be like airtight. You know, you can't yeah. get away with being sloppy. I mean, technique is so much more important because you always have athletes, but the ability, the receiver's technique are so good. you got all these kids. I mean, we have some really good football trainers, personal trainers here in Texas. I'm not afraid of that. You know, that's part of our culture now. Football has personal trainers everywhere. And these personal mm-hmm. trainers are good. They're working these kids' craft when they're not with us. So these kids are working their craft all the time. And really, they're, they're really good. So, um, you know, you we, we play a lot more man than probably I used to because of the ability to throw ball, th- you know, throw the ball. And because I'm out of school, we have really good talent. Um, I mean, we have really good DBs. You got the horses to do it, then you're going to use Yeah, you them. got the guy who can do it, then you want to do it, right? So um, we've right. had some really good DBs and continue to have good DBs. So, of course, we'll play some more man. Um, but we also – I probably do more coverages than I used to because of how good people are throwing the ball. You have to make things a little bit more difficult for the offense as far as in the passing game. It used to be how do we – how do we affect their running game doing different things? And how it's like, how do we, for most teams, how do we affect their passing game? How do we make the quarterback think extra? You know, what, how do we change his, you know, move his eyes and distract him and make him think one thing and we're doing something else. So that's become a bigger deal. Um, you know, and, and then I think as far as like how kids have changed, I really think kids are kids. I don't think kids have changed. I think cultures change. And so yeah. the kids are the same. Uh, at, at the heart of it, they want to be coached and they want to know that you know what you're doing. You know, Marcus Freeman said something actually in his, I watched that show, um, Pivot. And um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said it. He said it. And this is what I've always said is like, if you don't know what you're talking about, kids, they sniff that out in a, in a second, know. you know, yeah. at least the kids who, who are, who are BSers themselves, which is most of them, you know, um, they sniff that <laughs> stuff out in a second. They know if you know what you're talking about and they know if you don't know what you're talking about. And so if you can get, it's just like it was 15 to 20 years ago when I started, if you get kids to trust you and you build a relationship, you can, you can coach them hard. And if you don't, you can't coach them hard. You know, it's, it's, the same as it was to me 15, 20 years ago. And and I think coaches, maybe old school coaches, maybe didn't take as much time to build relationships because there used to be that idea in, in this world that you just listen because you're supposed to listen. Um, yeah. And now that's not, that's not the culture anymore. And that's not the kid's fault. That's, that's our world has changed. Everyone has yeah. more information. Everyone has you can research something in seconds. If you, if you feel like someone's not telling you the truth, you don't have to just go, well, I'm believing you because you, because you're a coach, you know, you could go home and research with your phone out. Yeah. So, um, you know, as soon as practice is over, you can pull your phone out and be like, well, I'm going to see about this and see what Twitter and YouTube has to say about it. Right. So, um, that's not a kid thing. That's a culture thing. And so if you build the relationships and I think that's ultra important now because, because kids, uh, they need that, you know, they have always needed it, but I think even more so because they're not going to just take you at your word because you're a coach. They're going to mm-hmm. try to find the information themselves. Um, 
And so they want to know that you know what you're talking about, and they want to know that you care about them. And then at that point, you can coach them pretty hard. I mean, there's some kids you can coach harder, there's some kids you can't. That's that's been the same for 20 years. You know? Right, yeah. How much pushback, or not how much pushback, how often do you get pushback from a kid who says, like, well, I was watching this on YouTube, and this is what this coach says to do. You know, like, do, do you get that a lot or not as much? It's it's rare, but kids will be like, hey, my trainer, or hey, you know, what do you think about this? I'll be honest. Um, I'm kind of a, a football nerd. Like, I don't really do anything else besides football and talk about Notre Dame and, you know, a little bit about Padres, like the Padres I'm from San Diego. But, like, really, I'm a sports nerd junkie. So, yeah. like, I study football. So, like, kids are pretty – I've had some kids say, like, hey, coach, man, you know more than anyone I've ever talked to. And then I have some kids be like, hey, coach, my trainer said this. And what do you think about it? Like, what do you think we should try this? And so um, – I guess I haven't had a lot, but I, you know, it's occasional. You get a kid who, yeah, maybe likes doing things a certain way, and and um, I've always been pretty flexible because my theory is if kids play the game, I don't, right? So what works for me isn't necessarily what works for all of them. So my job is to be the professional. My job is to learn three different ways to to break on a ball, and then teach them all three ways. And some kids might be really good at one and not get the others, and. I might have another kid who's really good at one and not the other. So um, I guess maybe I'm a little bit different than some of that because I'm not a, it's my way or else. It's like, hey, I'm a professional. My job is to be professional and to know these things. So I'm going to know how to get hopefully the best out of my kids. Yeah. Like if you get new information, you're going to try to apply that and see if it works before you just start telling kids, no, it's not. No, I think that's a good thing because not only not only for football, but just like for preparing kids for life, like just teaching kids that they're not going to be listened to if they have a different suggestion. I just think that kind of sets a bad precedent. So I, I think that's a really good way. To yeah. I mean, it's been successful so. for me. I have a good relationship with kids. So that's, that's ultimately where this all starts, you know? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. So being in Texas, do you have any stories that are just like, this is some Friday night life stuff. Like this, this is like you would, you'd have to be there to believe it type stuff. Cause I mean, like I said earlier at the start of this, like we've seen the size of the stadiums and everything like that. Like they're bigger than some college stadiums. So th those atmospheres just have to be insane when you guys are going into those or, I mean, I'm sure you're probably used to it at that point, but like what's a story if you have one that is just, you can only really experience this in Texas. Um, I, I feel like I have a few, I mean, but none, I haven't really coached. So I'll, I'll kind of preface by say I've coached at a five, a school and there's five schools in our district. So like our, our district, um, there's five schools, they call them ISDs here in Texas. And there's five schools in our district. And generally you get that like Friday night lights, varsity blues feel at smaller or one horse town one school for one you know one horse town deal so i yeah. work in a district where there's we share resources and we share a stadium it's a magnificent stadium i mean that's that's my first welcome to texas moment as i drove around and just looked at the stadiums and just awe yeah. 
of seeing him in person. So that was like the first time I was like, okay, this is different. Um, and then really, I think the next biggest, like while I'm in Texas now, is um, I went to the state championships game, state championships game, or state championship game, games. And they have the state championship um, from Wednesday through Saturday at, at J- Jerry's World, whatever the the, the Dallas yeah. AT and Stadium, right? And it seats, I want to say, ninety to one hundred. I don't even know what it is, but it's humongous. And um, starting on Wednesday through Saturday, they basically have one A, two A, three A, four A, four A, D one, five A, D two, five A. I mean, they just have um, eight man football, and it's like. So, so I went to the, the Saturday where there was a 5A game and two in the 6A games, which are the big games. And um, there's 65,000 people there for a high school football game. And not only that, you're looking down the field. And I remember watching, you know, Jaden Greathouse. This is where I was sold. He was a junior. And so on one side, you have, Clay Kuniak, who's like a five-star kid who's going to start for Clemson this year, right? He's the quarterback, and he's throwing a Jaden Greathouse. And on defense, you got Peyton Bowen. You got Peyton's brother. I think it's Eli Bowen, who's a big-time player. You got um, Ryan Yates, who's at LSU. I think he signed with LSU or Oklahoma, one of them. Um, yeah, and yeah. those are just the guys I like know off my hand, right? mainly because Notre Dame was involved, or they're huge recruits. And then you flip sides. Yeah, and like every Irish fan's favorite guy. Yeah, yeah. And then Jackson Arnold's quarterback for for the other, you know, for Denton Guy. And it's like you're watching this game, and you're like, this is incredible because I'm going to be watching these same dudes on national television playing these huge games in like one year. Um, but if you ask most of them, some of their biggest games in life are like that high school football game. There's sixty five thousand people there, and they're representing their high school. And it's amazing, you know. And then, and I'll say the other one. Yeah. We played, we played Longview, who's like a one-horse town team, and we played them this year. And they're from East Texas, and kind of cool in Texas the way they do playoffs. You kind of have to like mutually agree on a, a location. So you play a lot of neutral. You play neutral site games pretty much after the second round, unless. You want to flip for it, but then if you flip for it, you could be the better team playing at their home. So there's like a lot of risk there. So most schools um, pick neutral sites, and we picked a site that was probably an out closer to us, but further from them. But it was east uh, of DFW, just like on the eastern edge. And we picked the stadium, and it's an awesome stadium in Mesquite. It probably seated 20,000, 20, you know, about 15,000, 20,000. And um, they were still a two-hour drive, you know, and uh, I'm I'm in the press box. I coach up in the press box, and so I go up early and I lay my stuff out. And I make sure I know where I'm going and all that. So after warm-ups, I know where I'm going, and uh, it's an hour and a half before the game, and and I'm in the going up to the press box and I'm looking out of the parking lot where everyone's parking, and um, they're tailgating, and there's like their whole town. I mean, they they brought probably. 8,000 people, two hours to this game. Um, I mean, it was incredible. And, I mean, we we didn't have more than maybe, like, 
2,000 people there. Like I said, we're not like, we don't have a huge following, so I don't get to see the Friday Night Lights thing on a weekly basis, but I kind of got to be on the other end of it. Um, yeah. Where, you know, you got people who are like 60, 70, 80 years old that have no affiliation with the program anymore, other than they live there or they went to school there a long time ago. And they're driving two hours on a Friday night. Uh, and the, when when it's cold here in Texas, and in that you know you get fourth, fifth round, it starts getting cold. Um, and they're out there, braving the weather, and and so that was kind of like the first time I was like, okay, this is this is pretty cool, you know. This is even though they're against us, and they had a kid who signed with Alabama, and the running backs got. I think he's going to commit. I think he committed Oklahoma. T- Taylor Tatum, he's a five star, four star, high four star. They had some dudes. Okay. So I had plenty to worry about, and they were really good. But I think for a while, yeah. I was just kind of like mesmerized by the by the stream of traffic coming in and just the, the school pride and that Texas pride that you kind of see on Friday Night Lights and, and um, you know, varsity blues type type deal, you know? So. It's pretty pretty right, fun. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And I mean, again, that's something that I didn't really get to experience a whole lot. Just being, Indianapolis has a pretty good football team, but nothing like that. So, um, just hearing when you have both ends of that experience, where you have basically like a proto Power Five game going on with Geyer, yeah. and then on the your end, you know, talking about this one horse town that you guys are playing, like. That's just got to be an incredible experience, especially for like the kids. Like, is obviously the kids probably say their favorite experience was like playing with these sixty-five thousand yeah. people games and everything. Like, do you ever have kids that say like, "Man, I really love playing against you know Dylan or you know which, whichever the hell school that has these one horse towns coming out yeah. for them?" I mean, it, it, it's definitely fun. You love playing in that atmosphere, you know. And so, in Texas, you you see a lot of really good teams. And I'd say that DF, like the closer you get to the bigger cities, the more, you know, it's just they're not as quite that one horse town type feel. It's more urban. It's just, yeah. you know, it's a lot of big school districts and people who are transient moving in and out. You don't have people who put there a lot for forever. You know, so the further you get out from, you know, the bigger schools and in, in like the inner cities in Dallas and DFW, the further you get out, the more you get that vibe, you know, you get that, like everyone's pulling in one direction and everyone's, you know, just super invested in the program. You know, you go to the restaurant in town and they got jerseys and helmets and like yeah. you know, burgers named after a player, you know, I mean, you get that feel when you go to some places, you know? And so, that's what you see a lot more in like 4A schools, 3A schools, because they're smaller towns, you know, and they're kind of more rural. Um, and you, you see that when you go to the state championship game and there's like two schools that have 800 kids playing and there's 30,000 people there. You're like, where did all these people come from? They're either just football fans or they're like, you know, half of them are from these towns that brought everybody, you know? Yeah. And so kind, I'm, kind, sure, kind, I'm, kind I'm of sure you get some of those – yeah, I'm sure you get some of those sickos that just buy the day passes too. That are just like I'm gonna watch yeah, yeah, yeah. every game that I possibly can. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten a coaching one, so I just buy the day pass and go to like three games because it's great football and it's you know it's it's awesome. So yeah, for sure. So yeah, well, man, it sounds like a great experience for you coaching down there at Texas. I want to try and finish off with just some college some college talk. Um, 
still kind of transitioning a little bit away from the high school stuff, but when you're, in your opinion, when you're ranking the most important position groups for building a, you know, national championship contending college football team, what what position groups are you ranking where in order of importance? I mean, quarterback is number one. I mean, that's, yeah. I don't think I'd even. I figured that was going to be the answer, but. Yeah, I don't think I need to spend time on it, but I mean, it's just the way the game's evolved. It's so important. It's always been important, but like now more so the way, like I said, we went over the way you can throw the ball and how important that is to the game of football nowadays. Having an elite yeah. quarterback just changes the game. Um, and you saw at USC, they went from like six wins to, and they brought other guys in, but really they brought Caleb Williams and that dude like, changed everything. Um, so I mean, quarterbacks number one to me. Um, I'm biased towards defense because I've coached defense a long time, but I think defensive line I would pick number two. Um, you look at the biggest difference to me when you look at like I went to the game Alabama played uh, Notre Dame here in in Texas, Cotton Bowl, um, a few years ago, and Notre Dame. O-line looked just as good and just as big as Alabama's O-line. But where you could tell the difference to me was, like, the skill positions a little bit, especially, like, second, you know, linebackers, secondary, but really the D-line. Like, yeah, just massive, and these dudes run, like, linebackers. I mean, and, and that's what you get at, like, Alabama and Georgia and even some of these – some of these Southern schools, there's just so many really – elite athletes down here that are really big i mean we have a, a, a nose guard right now that's incredible i mean he's a 25 that's really good and just the way he moves and as big as he is it's just rare and so i think d-line to me you can totally change a game um it makes your secondary look better it makes your linebackers look better it makes your quarterback look worse i mean there's such a they have such an impact i'd say probably D line is second. Um, I think you know it's a line of scrimmage game still, in my opinion. So I think O line probably third. And then and then you know, unfortunately, because I loved playing running back as a kid, unfortunately the game has moved to the outside so much. And so I'd probably yeah. go like corners and receivers, depending on you know what you think is more important. But corners and receivers are probably the next most important. You know. Um, and then nickel nickel players are so important. Those guys are so important nowadays. Guys who can cover and tackle. Uh, and really, I think running back and linebacker, which is crazy because growing up, running backs were like the best players in my mind. You know, all the players when I was a kid, like you say, who's the best player in the NFL when I was a kid? I'd be like Barry Sanders or Emmett Smith. You know, like you just think of running backs, right? Um, and now it's, yeah. they're kind of like, I guess when you have a great one, it's different. But really, if you have a good one, then like that's good enough, you know. So I think linebackers and running backs kind of filter in last, you know, which is which is sad in a way, but it's just the way football is, you know. Receivers and corners are so such a big deal now. So I probably I probably go quarterback, D line, O line, probably re- receivers, then corners. Then probably safety nickels, and then probably linebackers and running backs. However you want to, however you want to sort it out. 
Yeah, and I think you make a really good point about Nichols too because that's a position group that really does not – even when you're talking like at the NFL level, like you have a couple that are very well known for their talent level, but then after that, like it's one of those like if you don't hear their name called, it's a good day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and, it's like, it's so like a guard. Have, <laughs> like Right, exactly. So we have this kid who's a 25, and um, he's got a few offers. And like literally – I. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sell him because I believe in him. Um, and so literally one of the points I bring up to most, almost everyone that comes through is like, he's a nickel corner. He plays safety for us, but because as much man as we play and the defense we play, we play with three high safeties. So based on the way you line up, he might be rolled down in the box. He might be over a slot. He might be back on the roof. I mean, he's got so many jobs. But I said he's an elite nickel safety. And when I say that, like, coach is kind of like, you can see, like, hey, that's, that's interesting, right? It's not like yeah. he's never done it and we're trying to transition from corner to nickel or from free safety to nickel. It's like he's done it already. So that's kind of been interesting. You know, the nickel position has become such a, you know, as, as the passing game has trickled down, you know, from pro to college, the nickel has become such a big deal in college yeah yeah and i i think i agree with your rankings uh i played o-line all the way through college so i i tend to try to be biased towards the o-line but i mean you look you see it when you're looking at who's getting these nil deals too like it's defensive linemen it's quarterbacks and then it's going to be like your receivers and corners like the offensive line the, the high name ones they're getting some of these nil deal nil deals too but like it's just one of those things where you're looking for your weakest link at that point and just trying to beef it up that way. If you get a game wrecking defensive lineman, like that is going to do so many favors for your defense. Yeah. So I, I, I'm with you on putting the D line that high. As much as I hate it, because I, like I said, I played yeah. O line all the way through college and um, I get it. But it, it just makes sense. Right. So. So looking ahead at this 2023 season, obviously Notre Dame's got a lot going on. Uh, we've had a lot of movement in the transfer portal. We've had a rough July on the recruiting trail, obviously, with this with the season coming around the corner. What is one college team that you're looking at this year that is going to overperform their expectations or you know people's expectations, and then one that's going to underperform? Mm. If you got a couple, name a couple. Like it, it, you name don't have to limit it to just one. What's What's sad is like um, I don't know. The older I get, the less I pay attention to teams other than Notre Dame. Sometimes, yeah. just because I have kids and my attention is divided differently. I remember when I was young, even like a young a young adult, I would buy like Field Steals magazine and Athlon, and I'd read all of them. You know, like and just uh, insanely into it, but. I think like one one team and um, one team. I think I'm, I'm interested to see, and I, and I think they could be really really good. Um, and they've been good, so I don't know if this is even a hot take or anything. But I think like I think people are sleeping on Michigan a little bit, which is which is sad for me mm -hmm. to say, but also good because I know someone on staff there. But um, it's like as a Notre Dame fan, it just hurts every time I got to say it. But I think like. I think they're really primed um, to kind of make the jump because I feel like college football in general is down. Like Alabama's breaking a new quarterback, you know, Tyler Buckner, we've seen that. We know 
he's got some great things, but he's also got some warts. Um, Georgia's breaking in a new quarterback. Plus, they've lost like a million people to the NFL the last two years. That's got to mean something, right? So, if if like the SEC, yeah, eventually, right? So, if the SEC takes just a little dip, like, and Michigan's kind of at that position where they got a, a, a returning starter, and I think McCarthy. You know, I know we've had debates on our on our board that we are part or a part of. Some people hate McCarthy or think he's overrated. I think he's, I think he's a really good quarterback, to be honest. So I think, I think you know, you have the quarterback, you have the the line play, um, and they got some skill guys. I think like they could, they could be really, like national title dangerous, which uh, scares me a little bit uh, as a Notre Dame fan because. I would love it for some people I know there and some people, you know, our head coach that left, his son is on staff there. So like, he's a really good dude and really been kind to me and and stuff like that. So, you know, if if that, if he wins, I will hate it. Um, um, I think I'm really interested to see, and I guess, I don't know if they're going to be good or not, but I feel like Chip Kelly at UCLA is doing some really good things. And that quarterback, um, I, I I like the quarterback situation there. They got that kid that transferred in. Plus, they got Dante Moore, uh, another painful Ooh. player. But uh, so I think UCLA is interesting to me, and and Washington. Uh, I think Washington could be really good because they got Penix back. They got some dynamic receivers. Uh, it's a second year with that coach, and he, he did really well there. So I think Washington could be really good. Um, as far as like underachieving teams, I think I'm a little bit nervous of Oklahoma. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't super impressed with them last year, and I don't. I think they've lost a lot of good players, and I don't know if they've built that roster back up as quickly as some other schools have, and I think they might be, you know, they might struggle a little bit. They got a tough schedule. They might struggle a little bit, and um, that that won't be good for, for them going into the SEC kind of off of a couple down yeah. years. So I think, I think that's one school I'm kind of looking at. Like, it could get scary there if they start rough because uh, I just, I just don't, I don't know how I feel about the direction of Oklahoma. And I'm not saying that as like a, a, a angry Peyton Bowen fan. I'm just saying as, as someone who saw them play last yeah. year and know that the Big 12 is better than people think. Um, they could lose four or five games. And if they do, like, I don't know, man. That's that's not good at Oklahoma, you know. It's tough. Yeah, it's going to be tough to build juice going into the SEC if you're going to pull off, you know, like a seven and five season or something like that in your last year in the Big 12. Venables, I mean, I kind of got the same vibe watching them last season that you did, especially Oklahoma's defense. And I know that, like, none of those were Venables kids or anything like that. Like, obviously, the first year head coach gets a little bit of a leeway. We experienced that as well. But at the same time, like, they were bad on defense. Just did not really like a whole lot of what we saw. Like, even for Oklahoma, like Oklahoma, we know Lincoln Riley and defense just don't really go together. And like, you kind of expected Lincoln Riley defenses to 
be a little more bent and break than you would want to be. But I mean, Venables, they got tra- trains run on them multiple times over the course of the past year. And I'm kind of with you that I don't know if they did enough to restock that cabinet on the defensive side of the ball to, to offset that. And really they, I kind of agree with you. Like they'll, they have potential to go like around 500 again. Yeah. And even like an eight and four, seven and five is like, that's not, I mean, Lincoln Riley is for all the things that Oklahoma hated about them, no defense. And like he won 10 games every year, you know, at least. And like you go eight and four, seven and five, like that's, there's some people that aren't going to be very happy. And, and they kind of used to clean up in uh, DFW in North Texas with the top kids. But it's getting more competitive around here. TCU's and, and SMU have recruited really well here. You know, Baylor's rise, Texas, Joe McGuire's, like, recruiting really well in DFW. I mean, it's so competitive here. And that Oklahoma used to just kind of cherry pick who they wanted. And that's not the case anymore. It's They get kids, but it's not it's not easy. You know, they still got, you know, yeah. Peyton Bowen. They got Taylor Tatum. They still get some top kids. But it's not like it used to be where they could just kind of, you know, come in and, and swoop up the top seven kids in DFW, you know. So. Just call it a day. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting deal. Yeah. Any other underperformers that you're looking at? I know you said, like you said, it just kind of gets hard to focus on the whole college football space or anything like that. But I mean, are you worried? Are you worried about Alabama at all? Like, as I'm being really good or, or falling off? Underperforming. I think like it's scary. Their quarterback situation is scary, but like the SEC does. I mean, the SEC does their teams a really big service. The fact that they don't play as many conference games as the other conferences, they basically get an additional win every year. Like, because they're scheduling, you know, Troy, you know, like like they're scheduling a a guaranteed win every year. And so I feel like the SEC has, since they've gone to that schedule, that's, I feel like that's when the SEC has really started to rise because a lot of their teams started becoming bowl eligible. And playing and then bowl eligible is such a big deal because you get extra practices and you're on national television. You have the best talent. The South has the best talent per capita anyway. So they already got those built-in advantages. But and then ESPN, you know, pumps them up like crazy. But like, but like Alabama, even if they're down, they're gonna win 10 games. Like the schedule is just it's good, but it's not terribly difficult. Their defense will be really good. They'll be coached really well. So even if their quarterback's down, they're going to win 10 games. So, like, I I, I guess I do see, like, a slight slippage. But yeah. last year was, like, one of the best classes, like, ever. They might have had the best class ever last year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess maybe maybe it's just – maybe their freshman class can carry them. You know, they got some unbelievable talent coming in. So maybe it doesn't yeah. allow them to, to slip too much. You know, I think, like, I'll be interested to see how, you know, like, I'm trying to think who else might kind of disappoint. I feel like Ole Miss is pretty hyped up, but they might not be great. I mean, but really, I don't – there's not really any teams that, like, stand out. I mean, I, I kind of am interested to see Ohio State 
because they are yeah. like the most talented. I feel like they might be the most talented starting lineup in college football. I, I was looking at mock drafts like just for fun one night, and um, this was right after the NFL draft. I want to say just looking at like mm-hmm. where people mock next year. Draft. You know where Joe falls and all that stuff. I'm like. There were some mocks that had like six Ohio State guys in the first round. I'm like, holy smokes. Like they are yeah. ridiculously loaded. But you go back to that quarterback situation, you lose it. And I know they recruit really high level guys, but like you're, you just never know, right? You're replacing, mm-hmm. you know, an elite talent, an elite kid, a kid who's top five pick. And I think Stroud was really good. He's kind of my guy. I think will click in the NFL. Um, yeah. And you're in your replacing the guy who hasn't played a whole lot. So, you know, who knows? Who knows yeah. how, what's going to happen? I'm kind of with you there. I, I For both Alabama and Ohio State, I think it's going to be like a slippage is going to be like nine and three at the absolute worst for that. Yeah. Like, right. The way that their schedules line up, it's just, it's, yeah, it's not going to get any worse than that. One team that I'm kind of on the lookout for is Tennessee. They lost oh, yeah, yeah. a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball, and I, it's just going to be tough to replace that. I mean, they lost their starting right tackle, which thank God bears for drafting him. Um, but it, it, that's another one where I'm just kind of on the lookout there. Uh, go, going back to your overperforming teams, I, yeah, I like I like UCLA a lot too. I think Chip Kelly finally started giving a shit about recruiting, and yeah. it's crazy that he didn't before like that's just always been one of the most mind-blowing things because the way his offensive system works like you can just plug dudes in and still put up numbers and like just think about what you can do with talented players so I, i'm very yeah. curious to see the pac-12 i think is going to be a pretty damn good conference this yeah year. I, like utah is a team that could slip record wise because i think just everyone yeah. else is better and they're they're like one of those tough hard-nosed teams but like Talent-wise, I don't think they match up all the time with everyone in their conference. And Oregon's better to me. Uh, SC's better on defense, I think, on paper. Um, I think Washington's really good. I think uh, Oregon State's going to be pretty good. Like, I think Utah could just – if they just slip a little bit, they might find themselves, you know, 7-5, 8-4, you know, because it's – I think, yeah. like, the Pac-12, I think, has really is a really competitive conference, which you can't always say. It's going to be fun. No, you can't. Like, usually this is either USC or Oregon, like, kind of getting to do whatever the hell they want in a given year. So I I think it's really good for the conference, too. And it's just crazy that it happens to be right in the last year that their two ten-pole teams are going to be leaving. But, you know, can't do a whole lot about that. So just going to wrap it up, talk Notre Dame a little bit. Obviously, we're both Notre Dame fans here. So – Three questions for you. Breakout player, MVP of the team, and over under eight and a half wins. I'll start with the over first. I'm gonna go over. Um, and maybe maybe I'm a myopic Notre Dame fan, but I really like I just think Hardman changes. It just changes yeah. things, you know. It's you were kind of playing with your hand tied behind your back at times on offense last year. Um and I just I just <laughs> think he he adds the schedule's brutal. I mean, it's a tough schedule, but I think he adds mm-hmm. enough to get him to nine wins, you know, hopefully more. Um, you know, if he gets hurt, it's a whole different ballgame, but I think, you know, yeah. barring injury, 
going nine at least. Um, team MVP. I guess I have to kind of go Harmon, right? Because if I think yeah. he's going to carry them to at least nine wins, it's going to be him. But but I think a sneaky guy is um, a sneaky team MVP to me is J JD Bertrand because nobody talks about him, but the dude is nails. I mean, he's really good yeah. football player, and he's going to get the counting stats. I think. I think he's just going to. I don't see like a Fosky type who's going to have, and I don't think. And I don't, as good as I think Morrison is, I don't think he's going to have the same year where he has like seven, eight picks. I just don't think people are going to continue to try him. So I think like counting stats wise, I think Bertrand is just going to really, because he's in the second year of Al Golden's defense. And I think he's like kind of an integral, you know, part of what they do. I think he's going to, now having said that, you could see him get some snaps taken away by like Ziegler and, and some of the younger guys who are who are pushing, but I think, I think he's like low key my my sleeper, and maybe I could maybe yeah. I could give the the breakout player too, but I'm gonna give the breakout player to, um, man, this is tough because I have like four in my mind, so I'm trying to think like, <laughs> is it a guy who's done nothing and comes to be like a a, a good role player? Is it a guy who's a role player who now becomes like kind of a dude? Um, and I want to say the breakout player, like I could go so many ways to this, but I feel like, I feel like Jason Onye is going to be like, by the end of the year, I think Jason Onye is going to be like on the NFL radar. I don't think he's going to be an NFL guy at the end of this year, but I think he's going to be a guy like people are talking about for next year. Um, because yeah. I think he just has the size and like, like I, we were talking about earlier with D-line, just you know, like the SEC type D lineman, you know, I just think he has a different size and kind of athleticism than we're, we're used to seeing at Notre Dame consistently. And so I think, I think he's just going to flash as the year goes and the more confidence, the more he plays, I think he's just going to flash. And by the end of the year, I think people are going to be talking about like as a breakout guy, like, Hey, this dude could be big time next year. And he's going to be like potentially, you know, a draft pick. I'm not saying first round or anything, but just a guy who's going to be on people's yeah. radar, you know, as far as like NFL draft. I mean, there's so many ways I could go. I think Chris Tyree's going to break out because playing the slot fits his skills. I think Riley Mills is like the guy we always talk about, right? Like eventually, right? Eventually. <laughs> and he's like, that has freaky size and athleticism. So eventually. Um, if he can put it together, man. Botello, I mean, is he going to break out and get eight sacks, nine sacks? I mean, there's so many guys, but like, I'm going to go. I think Watt's going to be better. I think he's going to have a big year. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of ways, but that's, I guess, I'm going to go with, with Onye in the sense I think no one really knows about him nationally. And I think only the hardcore Notre Dame fans really know about him right now. So, I think by the end of the year, I think he's going to be a lot more well known. More about what about you? Then? Yeah. Cheers. I was kind of thinking Tyree as well. I really liked that they moved him to the slot. I think just with, like you said, with his skill set, like I think he's just going to shine a lot more in that position, especially by all accounts, they're going to a lot more like five wide and hopefully a little more air raid, which that would be, God, that would be awesome to see if uh, Hartman's able to do that. Um, Bertrand's a really good pick, as so is Onye. Riley Mills is the one where, you got to think, like, if he puts it together, 
he has the build to just be an absolute stud. And you just got to hope that he is able to do it. Um, one that I kind of had in mind was uh, Jaden Mickey. I know he yeah. had some really good moments early on, like especially in spring ball and in camp and everything like that. And then, you know, freshman things happen. He got picked on a couple times and fans were kind of down on him. I really like what Mickens has done with the CV room, both in recruiting and in developing some of these guys. So you got Cam Hart, who's obviously going to be like, regardless of what people think about Ben Morris and Cam Hart's the one. And then Morrison's going to be that two guy. And I think Mickey's got room to grow as like the third guy in that corner room. So, excuse me. But yeah, I, th I think, I think Mickey might end up being that guy. I'm hoping. But yeah. that someone on the I, I loved, I loved him after spring ball. And I still do. I, I like just his swagger. He just a little snake bit last year. You know, I think he got a few plays mm -hmm. on him and kind of lost a little confidence, but like, I think, and I think he, he had to be humbled a little bit. He came in with like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm the dude, and I've always been the dude. And he came in, had a good spring. Just, that's that's football. Football will humble you sometimes. But, but I think he's, I think I do love his kind of his moxie, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, you know, his his toughness yeah. and his. He's got an you know, edge. Yeah. Yeah. And on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to just try to manifest Tobias Merriweather as yeah. a Blitnikoff Fox, at least. Like, he's another guy that's got the build for it if he can put it together. Like, I, I, I think mean, the wide receiver room. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, everyone like, says, like, oh, how can you, how can you say Merriweather is going to have a big year when, like, he's never played really? And it's like, I mean, Miles Boykin, like, broke out after like one bowl game um, the next year he broke out Claypool did I mean um EK e e Brown like all these dudes broke out after kind of like doing nothing like Golden Tate mm -hmm. like a bunch of them and so it's like well that's just kind of how it works you know sometimes these kids come in as freshmen they're just not ready but then like the talent's obvious right yeah. It's not like he couldn't play last year because the talent. It's just the physicality, the adjusting to college, just the whole the whole situation, right? Understanding the offense, and then this year, you know, just the comfort level of the sophomores. Like they they kind of generally know what's going on now. They know what to expect. Yeah, and so they can focus a little bit more on football. So the talent level is definitely there. Like you, that, that's obvious. You know, Kenny, Kenny. I like that manifestation though because I think he can be you know, scary good. Yeah. I think between Sam Hartman and Chancey Stuckey, just being able to do some more work with that wide receiver room. Again, this is oh, some of this is some hopium coming from a Notre Dame fan, obviously, but I yeah. think that wide receiver room is going to be much improved over what it was last year, just from going from Drew Pine and the couple of games with Tyler Buckner that we got to a dude like Sam Hartman, who, I mean, I would say he's probably the most talented or accomplished quarterback we've had at Notre Dame since like Brady Quinn. Yeah, I'd agree. So I mean, maybe Jimmy Clausen. Yeah, I'm always. Maybe. A, I'm always. I've I've been maybe it's because I'm from California, but I'm kind of a Clausen apology. A, a, you know, I kind of a stand for Clausen. I kind of think he got kind of got a raw in because he had no O line for like two of those years. But it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, and I think with Clausen with me like. 
I was just kind of at that age where I was trying to pay attention to Notre Dame, but didn't really have a chance. Like I watched the games, but didn't, I wasn't at that age where I like knew a ton about it or anything. And then the next time I saw him, he was in the NFL and it just completely flamed out there. So yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, he didn't really have a great career, but he had like one year that was like incredible. And yeah, I don't know. I always think like he kind of gets a raw deal because we weren't very good for most of his career. And I, that's partially his fault, but I think mostly he just didn't have a lot of – he had no defense, and they had, like, very little very little help on the old line for most of his years, you know, so. Yeah, for sure. But, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, Coach. Um, obviously, you, you've got to get back with, like, family and everything like that, so I'm not going to keep you here too long. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, hopefully maybe sometime during the season we can kind of catch back up for a little bit maybe not for as long as we went tonight but uh you know just kind of talking a little bit and seeing how everything is going with you guys and maybe venting about notre dame or maybe gassing notre dame up we'll see but uh yeah really great to have you on appreciate it uh thanks for having us having me on and it's not bad you know taking a few minutes away from uh all, all the other stuff to talk football so I'm, I'm glad to do it yeah nothing wrong with talking ball but Again, thank you for coming on, and thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure to join our Discord, which the link is going to be in our Twitter bio. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, catch us on Happy Hour Sports, where we put out articles and podcast episodes. We're going to be kicking that off here with some conference previews soon. But in the meantime, it's a dead period, so please, for the love of God, don't tweet at recruits. Don't do it. <laughs> Should never, ever, ever tweet at recruits. They don't care what you say. Good night. <laughs> you heard it from a high school coach. They do not care. So have a good night, everybody.